This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. clean clothes. The pants you wore yesterday are fine, and there's a nice button-down shirt hanging in the closet. Wait a minute, Mom. A dress shirt? Are you crazy? I cannot, Mm. I cannot wear that to school. Fine. I just folded some t-shirts on the dryer. Find your sister. She has to leave in five minutes. Uh, I'm busy right now. Please. Dad, do I have to? Do as your mother says, son. All right, fine. She's old enough to take care of herself. Hi, I'm Mom, team captain. I try to keep things running around here. When things go right, everyone helps out. Uh, honey, have you seen my briefcase? But things don't always go right. It's by the front door, dear. Anyway, I try to keep everyone on track and working together. But as with every team, some of the members don't always look out for one another. Where's your sister? Oh, right. Um, have you seen my keys? Probably in your pocket. Like I haven't checked there. Um, found them, thanks. I guess being team captain isn't as glamorous as it sounds, but it does have its rewards. Hey, hey, Mom. Uh, can I go to the mall? Yes, you can go to the mall after school. Sweet. Thank you, Mom. See you at the car, Scott. All right. Um, honey... In your ear, dear. Oh, sweet. You're the best. Gotta run. Bye. Christy, get down here now. Coming. Does that remind you of anybody's family? Yes, indeed. Well, welcome to New Life and... uh, We'll refer back to that little drama a few times this morning because it's a learning exercise. And for those of you who, this is your first time at New Life, if I haven't met you already, my name is Ron and uh, I'll be speaking to you for the next 30 minutes or so um, out of God's Word about a very, very important subject. So kind of help you along, if you look inside your program, those of you who got it, and I'm so sorry for those of you who didn't get programs. We printed more this week than we did last week, and we still ran out. So next week, we'll print even more, and eventually, we'll get that number right. Uh, But for those of you who did get programs on the inside, you'll find a half sheet of notes, and uh, there are blanks in it on purpose, so take your pencil and fill in the blanks as we go along. I've got some things I want to say to you about the family. First is just a, a personal observation about family. Most of us would not trade our family for anything else in life. And that's a good thing. But at the same time, those people sometimes test our patience to the limit. Have you noticed? Yeah, that's true. We love our family, and yet at times we can't stand them. And there's that continual tension that we live in between those two realities. 
And God knew that. So he spoke into family so many places in Scripture. And this morning I have a special message for those of you who are mothers. For those of you who are mothers and have already raised your children, there's something in here for you. For those of you who are future mothers, there's something in here for you. And for those of you like me who will never be a mother, there's still something in here for us, all right? So there you go. Um, If you want to appreciate mothers, then you just go find a mother that's got three preschool children. And you've volunteered to let her go on vacation for only three days. And you just say, don't worry about a thing. I'll do your job. It's a piece of cake. And when she comes home, you will be so blessed. And you'll wonder, how does anybody survive that? Because especially during the preschool years, being a mother has to be one of the most challenging tasks in the whole world. But I can also tell you that families do not do well if mom doesn't step up to the plate, especially during those years. No one can bring to the table what God created mom to bring to the table I mean, you see dad try it, he's not very good at it, it just doesn't work. So this morning, and God speaks into that through his word. So this morning, I'm going to point you to a number of verses of scripture and so forth. But for those of you who haven't been here for the earlier sermons, this is sermon number two in the series. And then at our grand opening, I gave just a little bit of teaching about the family as well. Uh, Let me go back and see if I can just bring you up to speed very quickly. Uh, first of all, we noted that if you look at the at the top of your uh, of your sermon notes, it says family making it work. And you notice we crossed that grade and put the word work there. And that's because oftentimes we think other people have ideal families. Mine will never be ideal. If you just knew what God had to start out with, you would recognize uh, there's no hope of us ever having a great family. Well, I might beg to differ with that, but at least we can all agree that God wants us to have families that actually work. So what would that look like? Well, there are three things that families that work do. Number one, they create a safe and nurturing place for every member. After you write in the word nurturing, I want you to circle it because that's going to be a key component of what I'm talking to you about this morning. But a family that works creates a safe environment and a nurturing environment for everybody, not just dad, not just mom, not just the kids, but for everybody. The second thing that a family that works does is it competently, that means with skill and success, it trains the coming generation in five very specific areas, physically, mentally, emotionally, relationally, and spiritually. And every single one of those is vitally important to a family that works. If you you fall short or you just abdicate your responsibility in any one of those five areas, there will be a whole portion of your family that either doesn't work or it'll be dysfunctional. And then the third thing that a family does is they find a way to cope with the stresses of life together. That's the key word. That sometimes when families don't work, the stresses of life tend to blow them up 
and, and, and they start pointing fingers and eventually the family splits up and everybody's pointing fingers at who fell short. But there are families that work and when the stresses of life come to that family, they find a way to pull together and draw together and they face that challenge together and in a, in a kind of a, a wonderful but strange way, they actually become closer through adversity. Well, now here's what I want you to know. That's the kind of family everybody wants. I've never, ever interviewed a person or had a conversation with anybody who said, you know what I want for my family, Pastor? I want a stress to come and just blow us all up. We don't want that. I've had people come to me and cry and sob like a baby. Pastor, I don't understand what's wrong with my family. Why is it we can't figure out how to pull together and make this thing work? It's what we want. Secondly, it's what God wants. That's exactly what God wants for your family. And third, and this is the most important thing, it's what God makes available to every family. You can't miss that. Because oftentimes people come and they hear a pastor talk about family and they think, golly, if I had been born in a different family, I think that might work. Having a family that works doesn't require great talent. It doesn't require a lot of money. It doesn't require any special abilities. I want you to hear me clearly. This is the kind of family that God makes available to everyone. But I didn't say it would be easy. Nor is it automatic. It requires work. It requires diligence. And it requires doing some things that are not natural to us. The family that does whatever comes naturally to them eventually blows the family up. We'll see why in a few minutes. So it takes work and it takes effort. But trust me, it is available to everyone. And I don't want you to fall short of it. I don't want you to miss it because you just didn't know it was available or you didn't know how to get it. And God speaks very clearly into that in His Word. So that's what we're going to talk about. Now, last week we talked about the fact that the family is our team in life. That life's not an individual experience. It's a team experience. And so God set up life in these individual teams called family. And the deal is, it's like our boat is going through the sea of life and the people in our boat are our family. We talked about the fact that most of them we don't get to choose, but we do get to choose whether we're going to make friends and allies of them or whether we're going to make enemies of them. But the deal is, if you make enemies of the people in your family, they still stay in your boat. That's not a whole lot of fun. So if we can learn how to build and forge wonderful partnerships within the family, then family becomes a rich and wonderful experience that God intended for it to be. And it blesses us. And you know the great thing about a family that actually works. They have this wonderful ripple effect around them. And everyone that comes in contact with them seems to be blessed just by who they are. And when they're around them, they draw life from them because it's life-giving to be around them. We'll see in a few minutes 
why that's the case. We also noted last week that dad had a very important responsibility. He was to step up to the plate and he was to be the team coach. It was his job to accept ultimate responsibility for the success or failure of the family. That a father does not have the privilege of pointing to his kids and saying, they're the problem in our family. Or to his wife, she's the problem in our family. Or to, or to the schools, there's the problem in our family. Or to the government, whoever gets elected, that's the problem in our family. Fathers have to step up to the plate and say, it's my job to see to it that this family succeeds. And if that means I have to cry over my family, I'll cry over my family. If it means I need to pray over my family, I pray over my family. If it means I need to sit down with one of the members of my family and say, just talk to me about what's going on in our family. Do you like what's going on in our family? Well, no, I don't like it either. Well, then let's talk about it. And let's talk about how can we fix this together? That's what coaches do on teams. That's what fathers are supposed to do. At the end, I gave you some statistics about what happens in a family when dad is absent. And they're scary statistics. It's just true. And if you weren't here last week and you're a dad, I would encourage you, you can do two things. You can stop by the, the resources, etc. table just outside the double doors in the back and you can order a CD of that message or if, if you're tech savvy, you can go online and you can download the podcast and listen to it. It's just challenging for anybody who's a father. So what does that make mom? Well, that makes mom the team captain. You heard it this morning in the drama. Hi, I'm mom. I'm the team captain. What's the job of the captain? Well, among the many jobs of a captain on a team, the captain sets the tone in the locker room. In fact, intuitively, you all know this. Let me see if you can finish this statement. Mama ain't happy. What's the rest of it? Ain't nobody happy. So who is it who sets the tone in the family locker room? You got it figured out already. You don't even have to pick up the Bible and read that. We kind of all intuitively know that it's mom who sets the tone in the locker room. Now, mom, we have a very special verse for you. It actually fits for everybody, but this morning, specifically for mothers. Here's what the Bible says. Don't say anything that would hurt another person. That, that doesn't mean that you just ignore the wrong that they do. It doesn't mean that you don't take action, but it means in taking action. I don't know if you caught it just a minute ago, but when I talked about dad, when something isn't going right in the family, dad sits down with the family member. And what does dad say? Shape up or ship out. I'm the boss around here. No, what does he say? He says, do you like what's happening in our home? Well, no, neither do I. See, don't say anything that would hurt another person instead. Speak only what will build them up. Now, I want you to read the last sentence up there on the screen with me out loud. Let's read together. Ready? That way, what you say will give grace to those who hear you. Would you circle and underline the word grace? Listen, moms, 
when your two-year-old is throwing a tantrum, when you can't get dad to do what you want dad to do, when your teenager, you have to send him back three times. Did you notice he never did get his sister? Yeah. When you send him back three times and you still don't get what you want and your patience is tested to the very limit, that verse still is true. It still needs to be your instruction. Don't say anything. That would hurt someone. And you could kind of put this parenthetically. Don't say anything in a way that would hurt anyone. So what is it that God has created mom to bring to the table? And like we're doing with all nine weeks of this sermon series, none of these can be comprehensive. But I'm going to give you two words this morning that are overarching principles that need to govern everything that mom brings to the table. And the first is this. It's the word nurturing. And if you're like me, if someone said, why don't you write a definition of nurture? I thought, I wonder what that really actually means. So I got a dictionary and looked it up and it meant, it meant to provide nourishment. Well, I was no further ahead than I was before. So what is nourishment? So I went and looked up nourishment. And to nourish means to supply what is necessary. And these are three very important words. Life, what's necessary for life, what's necessary for health, and what's necessary for development. So moms, that's your job. That's your task. And, and that's exactly what the Bible says. Take a look at this verse. Actually, I'm going to read you two verses. First Thessalonians chapter 2 says, We were as gentle among you as a mother. What's the next word? Feeding. That's that nurturing, providing what is necessary for life and development and health. Feeding and caring for her own children. And then notice, even in Isaiah, God speaking says, As a mother consoles a child, so I will console you. Just a tiny little aside do you realize that men and women were both created in the image of God and both reflect the personality of God? Now you can see a little bit of it there. God says, as he talks about himself, he compares himself to what? A mother who's caring for or comforting or consoling her child. Well, so I thought about how to, how to illustrate that for you. God brought me two illustrations. One is a little more graphic, and you probably never thought you would ever hear this at church, but I want you to get the truth of it, okay? Okay, guys, no offense, but there's a reason why God gave breasts to women. You're afraid to laugh, aren't you? Yeah. Guys wouldn't know what to do with that anyway. But, but you see, God put within women God put within mothers this wonderful ability to nurture children from birth. And they take that little child, they hold that little child to their breast. And from her own body, the mother gives that child everything that's necessary for life, for health, and for development. You see, especially in the early years of childhood, children will interact with their mother five times to ten times more than they will ever interact with their father. And so, Mom, you set 
the tone in the home for nurturing. Now I want you to go back up to, we said a home that works, what was the first thing? A home that works creates a safe, and what's the next word? Nurturing place. Mom, as family members, we have to have that from you. We can't get that anywhere else. No one nurtures like a mother. No one has been blessed by God with such a nurturing nature as mom. So God designed for even the smallest of children to get their life, not only in birth from you, but to get their nourishment from you. Now, you know, in the second verse I read to you, God says, I'm going to console you as a mother comforts her child. Little kid, three or four years of age, is running across the parking lot, trips, falls down, and, and, and puts a big old owie on his or her knee. And they start to cry immediately. And then in their tears, they say, where's my... What's next? Yeah. Dad comes running up and picks up the child. And dad says, where's your mother? <laughs> That's how we handle that. It's just natural. You see, God says for you mothers, I'm putting something within you that I'm not putting anywhere else. And it's not that dad doesn't need to come along and be the assistant nurturer. He does. But I can tell you that the best father among us cannot replace what God intended for you to get from a nurturing mother. There's a second word that's equally important. And it's the word cooperation. You see, one of the things that a captain does on a team is when the coaches get together after the coaches have, have talked with each other and after the coaches have gone out and talked with the captain on the team and after the coaches have gone out and even visited with, visited with individual members of the team, then the coaches get together and they decide a game plan and they lay it out for the captains and then the captains take the game plan to the players in the room and it's the captain's job to get all the players in alignment with that plan. You see, more than anyone else, the captains determine whether the team is going to be cooperative or not. And boy, I tell you what, if, if you ever are on a team or see a team where the captains are going one way and the coaches are going another way, it's downhill. Now that word cooperation... That's a necessary skill in life. Think about it. When your children grow up and you take them to kindergarten for the very first day of school, is the teacher going to expect that child to cooperate with the things that the teacher asks of the child? What do you think? Yeah. And when your child graduates from school and eventually goes out into the marketplace and they get a job, they're going to have a person that's called their supervisor. And guess what the supervisor is going to expect and want from them? Full cooperation. 
And if we don't teach our children how to cooperate in life, then what happens is we deliver them into adulthood and now they have, they have only two choices in life. They're going to have to learn that through the school of hard knocks. And that is not fun. They're going to get fired from jobs and fired from jobs until they eventually they wake up and go, Oh, my job is to cooperate. I finally figured out if I don't get in line and I don't work in alignment, I don't work. And if I don't work, life's not very good. So I have to figure that out. But you know, I've seen people die of old age and they still haven't learned it. They die struggling in life. They never hit their stride. Because in order to hit your stride in life, you can't go through life alone banging on everybody that you're around and just doing your own thing. In order to hit your stride in life, you build partnerships with people around you. And the only way you can build partnerships with people around you is by learning how to cooperate. I want to point you to a verse in the Bible that's very important. Here it is. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. I want you to read that much with me out loud. Would you please? Let's read. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. I want you to circle and underline the very first word there. What is it? Is that one of your favorite words in life? Don't you love that word? Yeah, right. We'll see in a minute why we don't like that word. But I want to tell you, that's one of the greatest concepts you can ever learn. Is the concept of what it means to submit. I want you to understand that in the original language, the word submit is a compound word. It comes from two different words. And and the first word it comes from is the word that means under. And the second word that that is contained in that word is the word arrange. So when when someone submits, it means that they arrange their life under someone else. Not from a brainless standpoint, not from a mindless standpoint, but from a voluntary standpoint. Now, you saw already on the screen, and let's go back one screen, that submission or cooperation is the context for all of the Christian life. Christians should be the most cooperative people in the entire world. There's never a loud amen when I say that. But it's true. You know how much the world values cooperation and how seldom they get it? Let me give you an example out of my own life. It was several years ago. I don't remember exactly when, but I remember the moment very clearly because it was the last ticket I got driving, okay? I was down in Southern California. I made a flying trip down on Friday, going to go to a wedding on Saturday and drive all the way back up here on on Saturday afternoon uh, so that I could be here and ready to preach at church on Sunday. And so I had these directions that were typewritten out about where we were supposed to go. Had a carload full of people and we were trying to find where the wedding was taking place and going down the road. And my wife says, oh, we were supposed to turn left right there. And so, well, let's turn around. Here's the driveway. And so I pulled into this driveway. There was no one coming. I pulled into the driveway and no sooner got in the parking lot than out from behind the trees comes a motorcycle cop and he lights me up. Right in the parking lot. And it was like, Oh boy. So 
I stopped, pulled in a parking place. He pulled up beside me, and uh, he said, do you have any idea what you did that was wrong? I said, no, sir, I don't, but it must have been something. And he said, uh, yeah, there's a double yellow out there, and you pulled right across it to pull in this parking lot. I've been sitting here waiting for people to do that. I said, well, I'm really sorry. I'm from Northern California. I was down here trying to make my way to a friend's wedding, and, and I made a wrong turn, and and he said, nevertheless, I'm going to write you up anyway. So there you go. So he wrote me out a ticket. And I got back here and, and it was like, okay, what am I going to do with this? And I read on the ticket that I could go to traffic school. Anybody been to traffic school? You don't want to raise your hand now. Okay, all right. Yeah, sorry. Uh, anyway, so I make arrangements to go to traffic school. And I get to traffic school about 10 minutes early and we're all gathering in the room. And there's about 30 of us there in the room and... Uh, all of us are just delighted that, that we're there. Yeah, right. And uh, we don't know each other or any of that stuff. And the lady comes in who's going to take us through traffic school. And she has us all sit down. And so she starts going a- around the room and asking people for their driver's license. And she's recording who's actually coming to the, to the school. And she gets to me. And I give her my license. And she looks at my license. And she says, sir, do you realize that your license expired two months ago? At that point, I'm very glad I have told no one that I'm a pastor or a Christian or anything like that. Because I think I'm just setting the worst example in the world. First of all, I got a ticket for doing something that was illegal. And secondly, I'm driving with a suspended license. She makes a phone call and finds out that I can still take the class. And so we, so we head into the class. Now, seated in the back of the room, I was up in the front. But seated in the back of the room was a guy who was just mad about being there. And so the first thing the instructor says is, you know, we're all strangers. We don't know each other. And, you know, we all got to be here for the next six hours. So let's make this a fun experience. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to divide you up into small groups. And I've got a question up here on the screen. And I want you to get together in your groups. And I want you to decide how you're going to answer this question. And I forget what it was. It was some sort of icebreaker question. And so she says, okay, you and you and you and you, you go over there. And you and you and you and you. And so forth. she gets to the back of the room. And you five people, you go back in that corner and one guy says, I'm going nowhere. I've come to this class because I have to. No matter what you do, I will not have fun and neither will you. And I know you have to sign the paper when I get out of here and that is all you're going to get from me all day. Slumped in his chair and that was it. Well, you could cut the air with a knife. It was a long six hours. Are you ready to dismiss? And the instructor goes, now, in order to dismiss you, I have to take you one at a time up to the desk, and I've got to sign your papers and sign your documents, and I've got to do this stuff, and I've got to give your license back to you and all that stuff. So I really apologize. It's going to take about 20 minutes, and and it's the worst part of the class, but we all have to do it, so here's the deal. You didn't know it, but I've been compiling an honor roll based upon how people have participated and what they've done and how they've contributed to the class. And I will start with those who have been most cooperative. And about that time, Mr. Non-Co-op stands up and walks right to the front of the desk and says, I'll be first, thank you. She looked at him 
And she said, Sir, of this you can be sure. You will be the last. <laughs> you have earned it fairly and squarely. And frankly, I hope it takes us 40 minutes to check out. <laughs> and she said, If you give me one more problem, I will call my supervisor and have you arrested, and you'll have to take the class again. And the whole class erupted in applause. <laughs> and our friend went back and wilted into his chair. But, you know, here's the deal. And it's not just because it was me. But, you know, I started kind of at a deficit with the, with the suspended license, you know, the expired license. But she called my name first. She had no idea I was a pastor, no idea I was a Christian. But you know what she recognized? Full cooperation. Even the world values full cooperation. It's just a great thing. But we all have a problem. Take a look at this passage of Scripture. And that is, mom has a natural disadvantage here because it's not in mom's nature to cooperate with dad any more than it's in the kid's nature to cooperate with mom. In fact, when sin entered our world and God looked at Adam and Eve and said, okay, you got problems. I'm going to tell you what those problems are. You invited them and he turned right to Eve and he said this to Eve. You're, you will desire to control your husband, but... He will rule over you. Do you see any tension in that verse? It just reeks with tension. You know what that means? It means that mom has a natural tendency to try to control dad. Is that true in anybody's home? Yeah? Oh, yeah. Okay? And it also means that dad has a natural tendency to rule over. You know what that word rule could be translated? Dominate. Now, did God say that's a good thing? No. He just said, welcome to the world of sin. Because that's what it does to you. That literally means that neither dad nor mom has a natural tendency to cooperate with the other. But you know something? That gives us the most wonderful opportunity to show our children how to do something that doesn't come naturally to them any more than cooperation comes naturally to us. And generally speaking, our children will relate to the people in their world like mom and dad relate to each other. It's a huge, huge privilege and responsibility. So as we close, let me give you, we've talked about four very, very important words. And moms, I, I just want you to ask yourself a question or two out of each of these words. The first word we looked at was the concept of mothers as they nurture, they provide everything that a child needs for life. Would you just ask yourself about your home? Is my home a life-giving home. When people come into my home, my husband, my children, even strangers, when they come into my home, is it a place that gives life to them or is it a place that kind of sucks life out of them? Second word we looked at is the word health. 
And the question here is, in my home, are the relationships healthy? Even among between a two-year-old and a four-year-old or a three-year-old and a ten-year-old or whatever it is, are the relationships, our marriage relationship, are the relationships in our home healthy? When people walk in, even strangers, do they sense that this is a wonderfully healthy family and place to be? Third thing we looked at was the word development. And in my notes, I just kind of wrote, uh, is my home a place of vibrant growth and development? Do my children love learning? Do I love learning? Do I love the development of new skills? Or am I stuck in my ways? And am I resistant to learning new things? And am I done developing myself? And I'm just going to live like this for the rest of my life. And then I wonder why my kids don't really want to learn new things like algebra and those sorts of things. Is this a place of wonderful development, vibrant growth? Then a fourth word we looked at was the word cooperation. And in my notes, I wrote the word tension. Because tension is the result where cooperation is absent. In a home where mom cooperates with dad and dad voluntarily cooperates with mom and they are teaching the children how to cooperate with both mom and dad and cooperate with each other, there's this wonderful atmosphere where tension is not normal. It comes from time to time, but when it comes, the tension manifests itself in healthy ways, not destructive ways, and it's usually short-lived because mom and dad sit down and work out why the tension is there. They, they take care of the problem, and the family returns back to its normal method of behavior, which is relatively absent and free of tension. Now, God has given to every family here the ability to have that kind of home. But I can tell you, unless mom steps up to the plate, that won't ever happen. Because families rely on mom to be the one who brings that to the team. God calls you to it. He equips you to do it. And he challenges you to do it. Would you pray with me? Lord, would you show us? We're here this morning because we're asking you to speak into our lives. God, we pray for every mother here this morning. We pray first of all for mothers whose children are grown and raised. And they're saying, why couldn't I have heard this message 35 years ago when I had preschoolers? God, would you put the seeds of hope in their heart? Help them to recognize they're not done being a mother yet. That as long as they're still living on this earth and their children are still living on this earth, that they can, with skill and with discretion, speak into their lives and you need them to. And Lord, we pray for those who are mothers of preschoolers and mothers of teenagers during these formative years when their children are learning the vital skills 
of cooperation and the vital skill of how to be a nurturing friend and how to be, in general, a person that's life-giving, that brings out the best in those around them. God, would you help every mother to be able to step up to the plate and set the tone in the family locker room that it might be a nurturing tone. And Lord, I pray for those of us fathers, future fathers, grandfathers, that you would enable us to be the assistant nurturers, to come alongside the moms and and grandmothers in our world and to help them. And Lord, would you help us to lead the family in ways that make cooperation easier and more fulfilling. Lord, we take our families. We ask for your help. And we thank you for speaking into our lives. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information, at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.